So I go there and pick up a pair of shoes. Tan and brown Nikes. I can tell you what they were. (laughs) And the next morning, I make this big plan. So I decide if I'm such a hard worker that I can save enough money to buy a house, why can't I run? And not just 23 steps, but 24. So I turn around and go run 26. And I'm thrilled because that means I ran farther than I planned. And I sit down, rest for a minute, and then run back home. Hello, and welcome to the Race Mob Podcast. This is episode number 64. I'm Kevin, entrepreneur, technology, and fitness nerd. And I'm joined by the head coach of Race Mob and master motivator, the incomparable Bertrand Newsom. What can we say about Vanessa? This entrepreneurial, badass, and Bay Area legend is here to tell it how it is. Her incredible introduction into running is quite literally the stuff that movies are made out of. An overweight and overworked 13-year-old Vanessa decided to change her life and ended up losing over 60 pounds, and then just two years later, competing in and then winning a marathon. This was before most races even had female entrants. This story highlights the hard work and dedication that Vanessa just exudes. Even though an Achilles injury derailed her running career, it didn't stop her from helping people as one of the most sought after personal trainers on the planet. Vanessa has a long client list and so many success stories that she's actually in the middle of publishing a book. After taking years away from the sport, She's back to dominating these long distance runs, and she has so many tips for athletes, nuggets for those people looking to lose weight, and tidbits for those looking for some extra motivation. Heck, this driven entrepreneur even purchased a boxing gym during the middle of the pandemic. But she's the most proud of the charitable organization that she's founded that helps every single foster kid in Santa Clara. All of the show notes can be found online at racemob.com slash podcast. And without further ado, here's our conversation. Hello, Race Mob family. We are in for a real treat today. Coach Vanessa, fitness trailblazer, avid runner, professional, personal trainer, business owner, gym, private studio, Las Vegas, California, has a extensive extensive running shoe collection. And (laughs) as an adolescent, as a teenager, finished her very first marathon. And in that summer, lost over 60 pounds. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Welcome, Coach Vanessa. Thanks, guys. It's really great to be here. (laughs) Yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. I mean, the the story is incredible. We want to dive right into it. Talk to us about growing up. I mean, I know that you have an incredible story here. So, I grew up in Santa Maria, small town. My parents were awful. They couldn't keep a job. So I lived in a single wide mobile home and was a very fat child and picked on and bullied. Hmm. So I grew up in a town that was basketball town. Everybody wanted to play basketball. My mother hoped I would fit in. So I went to this camp to play basketball. And this really nice coach said to me, when I couldn't jump, when I was the slowest runner, when I shot Granny Goose style, literally, Vanessa, you probably want to get fit before school starts. Now, this is 1980, and my hero, even though I was a fat child, was Frank Shorter. Hmm. So I go to the library. I get every book on running I can. I'm already working full-time. 
I'm an assistant manager of a boot store. Wow. And the owner also owned a footlocker. And all the community college runners work there. So I go there and pick up a pair of shoes. Tan and brown Nikes. I can tell you what they were. (laughs) (laughs) And the next morning, I make this big plan. I'm going to go out and run. I read these books all night. I look at what strength training is. Stupid. (laughs) I go out my front door and I run 23 steps and I die. I'm 200 pounds. I'm asthmatic. I have severe allergies. Never exercise a day in my life. And I sit on the corner and I cry because I realize what a loser I really am. And I quitted everything and I just, I'm just going to go home. So I start to walk home. This is right before I turned 14. I just bought my parents a real house. We've moved out of the mobile home two weeks before. And I'm walking up to a home that I've just purchased for my parents. Wow. At 13? Yeah. So it's um, craziest, ridiculous stuff. So I decide if I'm such a hard worker that I can save enough money to buy a house, why can't I run? And not just 23 steps, but 24. So I turn around and go run 26. And I'm thrilled because that means I ran farther than I planned. And I sit down, rest for a minute, and then run back home. My mother's leaving for work. Vanessa, what are you doing outside at 5.30 in the morning when she's leaving for work? And I told her to leave me alone. This was my own personal thing. Within, I'd say a month, I am running six to seven miles continuously. Within two months, I'm running this 11-mile loop around Santa Maria every day. And I ran my first race, which was that 10-mile race. So that's my running history. And I went to high school. I'm now 135, 140 pounds. I grew four inches taller and I'm an athlete. Now, the funniest part about this, Santa Maria was 22,000 people. So anytime anyone was running around town, people would know, right? So the cross country coach walks up to me and says, hey, you must be coming out for my team. And I said, I don't know what cross country is. I'm marathon training. Now, Wow. I can't even imagine <laughs> what this coach thought. And he says, well, we run these three-mile runs through the park. And I go, what a waste of time. I mean, it just didn't strike me as something that would be great. And then I tell him, I work full-time, so I can't do that. And he says, I see you run all the time. You don't have to come to practice. Just show up on Wednesdays when we have meets. And that's what I did. So I showed up on Wednesdays. I mean, you know what a cross-country race looks? People are running. It's crazy. I didn't know what this was. And I was like, they're all bumping into each other. I'll just run in front of them. It just makes sense to me. <laughs> it, just, it was the dumbest idea ever. But, you know, obviously it worked out. <laughs> How many okay, years so did you run my... cross-country, Coach? So I ran cross-country all four years. I, I have lots of cross-country kids that run at schools, local schools. I had such disrespect for it because it was nowhere at the level I was. I was running 80 to 100 miles a week as a 14 and 15-year-old. And so I would run and I'd go to work. So I had to finish by 5 o'clock because I had to get to work by 5.30. You know, it was just the way that my life was. And so I run, I ran, and let me think. My junior year, I won my state division. We were like division three. 
And so I won that. Congratulations. And it was, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like the, the coaches now talk to you. And I remember the Cal State Fullerton coach said, didn't you just win a marathon? And he was <laughs> looking at me like, who's this kid? And because back then we did not know how to train, I completely popped my Achilles tendon off my calf in my senior year in a cross country race. And it was surgically repaired. So that ended my running career as a kid. And I did not run again for 30 something years. So if you ever pop your Achilles off your calf, it literally rolls down in your leg and they pull it back up and stitch it back to your calf. And most people don't recover very well, if at all. I think it took me a minimum seven or eight years to walk without a limp. And so never really thought I would run like I do now. So pretty lucky. And you do run. This is is well chronicled and not just casually, still competitively placing routinely in your age group. So what is it about running that really speaks to you, Coach Vanessa? That's kind of a a broad, open-ended question, but clearly it resonates with you on some (laughs) level. And I'm going to go back to this weekend. So I ran a 5K on the track. And you want to talk about being in a fishbowl with a couple thousand people screaming at you. It was the weirdest experience. And I haven't done a track meet since I was in high school. And, you know, I clocked my first mile, 6.59. I mean, wow, right? And some guy that I didn't know, but he knew me from Estrava, was screaming at me after he finished his race because the guys lapped the women. And he was like, She's 16 seconds ahead of you. And he's like screaming at me. And I'm like, who is this guy? Right. <laughs> you know, and then I win the race and I'm ready to puke and I'm laughing. <laughs> and he walks up and he goes, I'm so-and-so. I follow you on Strava. And I'm laughing my head off. And I said, see, this is what running is. It's pushing yourself past your capabilities and then somebody helping you. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. So there you go. Before we got on air, you, you talked a little bit about marathon training, even as a teenager being one of the, you know, and and those were very, very early days. Obviously we're, we're talking about, you know, there are not a lot of female runners during that time, especially not a lot of female runners doing the marathon. So, I mean, talk to us a little bit about, like, I get a little bit of the picture, (laughs) like the grit, the grit needed to, yeah, to do this marathon training and stuff, but yeah. (laughs) A little other part of story. So I'm a stupid kid before the internet and I get these books and Frank Shorter's my hero. So I write him a letter and another letter and another letter and say, I'm running, I'm following what you do. Or I mean, I'm literally trying to run the hundred miles a week because we don't know any better. And he writes me back and says, great job. And sends me an autographed photo, right? From his 1972 Olympics. So it's fantastic. It's actually still in my studio here in San Jose. Had it since I was a kid. And years and years go by and I'm at an event and I walk up to him and I said, hi, Mr. Shorter. I'm Vanessa. And he goes, Bogenholm. Wow. <laughs> and it was such a moment. <laughs> and he hugs me. And I'm like, how do you know who I am? And he goes, you look the same. You sent me a picture of yourself. And I go, at a race, in a turquoise singlet. And it was like <gasps> such a funny moment. But I think, you know, we just didn't have any clue how to train. And when Frank and these guys talk, they just ran a lot. I mean, if you read Bill Rogers' book, he just ran around the lake and ran as fast as he could, and he didn't ever slow down and no taper. You know, that's what we did. And women's bodies are different. 
but no one knew that uh, that the hip thing or growing and no we didn't know that that's why we got that's why we got hurt yeah i mean talk to us about the the marathon so why a marathon distance was it just to go uh, yeah (laughs) so so back then there was no 5k's 10 10k's (laughs) and a half marathon so let's think about this as a runner you did one of three things the 100 the mile or the marathon i'm not a sprinter I couldn't imagine doing the mile. And so that's what was left for someone who was a grinder, right? So you ran the marathon and there was an occasional 10 miles or something, but there's not like there is now. That's nothing like that. Yeah. That's why. I mean, talk to us about the the first marathon or first couple of marathons. Yeah. (laughs) First marathon. I go down to the LA area and you know, it's the first one. I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't have any friends there. I pick up my number. And I'm looking at the sides and it says, you know, 745, 8 o'clock, 815. And I'm like, we're all starting at eight. I'm like, like lost. And this guy says, how fast are you going to run a mile? And I go, 815. And he goes, you stand here. Now, all these guys were running up and down the side, jumping up and down. I didn't know why people would put all that energy out before running 26.2 miles. Yeah. I'm baffled. And there's no women, right? There's none. Wow. wow. Oh, wow. Yep. So we take off, the gun goes off, and I'm running. Now, we have no GPS watches. There's, there's nothing, guys. And I completely hallucinate at mile 20. Back then, somebody would tell you, if you're a front runner, what number you are. I go to this water station, and this guy says, sixth. Wow. And I said, we're the sixth mile. How can we beat the sixth mile? There's no way we're at the sixth mile. And I'm losing it. And this older man says, no, honey, you're the sixth woman. Wow. And I go, I'm done. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm finished. I'm over. He goes, no, I'll run with you and I'll help you finish. So I run and I finish and um, pass out, end up in the paramedics area with an IV and so chafed, you will never, ever. And my mother is losing it because she's never seen someone pass out. From exercise, you know, I've never came from an athletic family. Who knows what the heck's happening? And the guy comes to the organizer of the race, and he says, "Is she okay? Because she's, you know, the eighteen and under winter. Can she come to the stage? You know, that kind of thing." Wow. And I'm like, "Wow!" And had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> Your very first marathon, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, eighteen and under winter. That is eighteen and under. Wow, well, that's yeah. incredible. But I came back to school on Monday. With the t-shirt on, thinking I was the coolest thing ever, right? Because nobody I knew had ever done a marathon. Nobody at school did. No one's parents did. You know, this is 1982. And then I knew three months later was a marathon near my house, right? Within 11 miles, which means I could practice on the course, know the course, sleep well, Mm -hmm. do all those things that books talked about. And I had experience now, so I knew how to do it. And it was much better. And that's the one that I won, which I still have the t-shirt from. It hangs in my studio in the bathroom. And it's pretty worn out because I wore it for 150 times because it was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So, well, inquiring minds want to know, Coach V, what was that first marathon time finish? I have no idea. Isn't that the funniest thing? You know, somebody asked that the other day because I knew I was around three and a half. Wow. Nowhere. I, th- right. I mean, mm-hmm. so wow. you have to imagine. See, guys, 
this is 1982, we're going to get the marathon, the 1984 Olympics. And to do that, I had to get to three hours, right? That was the Olympic standard back then to get into the Olympic marathon trials. Now it's 245 for women, but 230 or whatever it is. And, you know, it was two, it was three and I didn't, couldn't get there. So I knew I couldn't get there. So my thought was 88, that I could get there by 88, right? There was no way I could get there by, by 83 to get it there. So yeah, so but then I had to turn my account. That was your <laughs> level of drive and focus and vision. We talk about goal planning. Wow. Yep. But there wasn't that many women. So it wasn't like, I don't, it didn't seem so impossible, right? Not like today when you go today and there's women in my age group running six and a half minutes on a, you know, on a, on a marathon. So <laughs> it's very different. Still, it's, yeah, incredible. I mean, it's incredible, especially self-driven without much coaching, you know, coaching via written mail and books that you could pick up and, you know, training yourself and and then getting there. Can you imagine only just a couple of years earlier being 200 pounds and, you know, and and, in that drive, that grit, that determination, that ability to, you know, continue to push yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, I work with a lot of overweight people. I don't look at it as drive and grit. If you can find why someone's eating, eating is done to fix something psychologically. If I can find that psychological problem and they will admit to it, then we can tackle it. But if they say, I don't know how I ended up this, I, I never eat that much, all that stuff that you hear, there's unhappiness somewhere and pain. I can find that place. I can get the weight off of somebody because that's how I got off myself. When I started to run, I no longer was bullied because now I was strong and cool and it went away, right? And I became mentally tough, right? You cannot run 10 miles a day and not get mentally tough. That's what I lacked as a teenager. And Coach V, let's more so with a weight loss because a good portion of America's population is dealing with obesity in some level, especially with our youth. And Great. I mean, just, Kevin and I, we've how talked, did this happen? yeah, we've, how did we, this happen, Kevin right? and I've talked about, we've had a couple of weight loss challenges or cut the crap 14 day challenges with a good nutritionist friend of ours, coach Tony Julian, giving her a shout out. But from your perspective, you know, we talk about the psychological, but ultimately there needs to be some changes in the diet coupled with act, with that t- activity. And what do you see? What's the common denominator that you've seen with people when it does, it does, it clicks for them. And so I have to eat for what I want to do. My goal today is to make fuel for tomorrow. If I drink six scotches and two cheeseburgers, I cannot run eight miles in the morning, bottom line. So when I start with a client and they are heavy drinkers, which I've had a lot of CEOs and a lot of heavy drinkers, I work the hell out of them the next morning. And then they think, (laughs) I'm going to see Vanessa on Tuesday. I'm not going to drink on Monday. That's the backwards principle. This works really well, right? So if I'm a person who's overweight and I'm super unhappy and I decide to eat three quarts of ice cream, I've had this happen, and I see Vanessa tomorrow, she's not going to have any mercy and she's going to pretend it didn't happen. And I'm going to pretend you're ready for your workout and we're going to work. And you're going to cry and you're going to hurt. And hopefully you kind of learn a little psychologically that didn't work, right? And at the end of it, we can talk about what the pain caused you to eat. And then we go from there. So I take it the way that I lost weight. I give you a goal, a place you want to be, a place you admit you want to be, and how do we get there as food, as a building block, right? So that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. 
have you seen a change in what is being consumed? You know, yes. carbs, protein, fat, what, all that, just from that perspective. And what, what's working as you've seen the evolution of diet and consumption and activity, male, female? As most people that aren't like us eat huge amounts of processed food. My whole goal is someone to not eat processed food, period. To understand what processed food is, is very difficult for most people. Most people don't know how to cook. They don't like vegetables. They think it's too much work. So we start with, what is your diet? Honestly, very hard for people to start there. And take the processed food out. If it comes in a box, you're not eating it. Tough, right? Then what do I eat, Vanessa? I don't know, a piece of steak and some broccoli? Wow, these are hard decisions. And you mean I can't eat cereal like the granola in the box? No. Can you make granola? Sure, go for it. And learning how to cook and learning that birthdays, Christmases, Thanksgivings are not about food, but about celebrating with people. So everything in our society is based about food. Change the mindset to make it about being spending time with people and not about the food. It changes everybody, right? So I have not had a client I could not get the weight off except for one woman. And that one woman was the only person that ever gained weight working out with me. And I said to her after a month, this isn't working, right? I, I, I want to put you with somebody else that might help. And she just didn't care. So, you know, that was the only one. Well, I was going to say it was, you know, we're a little bit tongue in cheek in, in saying that, yeah, people might not know how to cook or might not know how to eat non-processed food, you know, probably because we've learn about vegetables and cooking vegetables. And we've each had our own kind of journeys too. You know, I think sure. I was overweight a while ago and, and it's taken us a while, but it's, it's probably true. If we can just change a little bit of people's mindsets, a little bit of what they're eating. I love what you said about the gathering, I guess. Yeah. I always think about gathering around food, around what we're going to eat, around all that. But but it's true. It is about the people. If you can enjoy the people that you're with, if you can enjoy their company, switching that mindset, I guess that is a, a totally new way to approach things, to look at things in a, a totally different way. And, and just putting yourself in, in somebody else's in terms of what are they going through today? You know, are they having difficulty finding things to eat? Are they finding, are they having difficulty? Where was I all these years ago? So I just love this approach. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you know, you've had a lot of success with a lot of people who have lost over a hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm assuming you get a lot of pushback kind of immediately early on right away, or do you not? Do you, do you get people that are bought into this program are ready to go? Do you have ways to get them over some of these hurdles of, Hey, I only eat things out of a box. That's simple to, um, Hey, this is what you should look for, or these are simple recipes, or this is, you know, the, the simplest way for, for you to, to be satiated. I guess, What's kind of step one for, for you and, and those people? Okay, so I've had my place here for almost 10 years, nine years, 10 years, whatever it's in, in San Jose. I'm very lucky. My schedule is completely full. People call every week. There's no room. I charge a lot of money by the hour. I see everyone one-on-one. -on -one. And no, I don't get pushback. I don't, if you come in, say you're Kevin, say you're 100 pounds overweight, right? Called me up, we talked. We met for a couple of minutes. You come in for your first workout. I'm working out with you. I don't even discuss food with you at all. We talk, we get you moving. I tell you how I'm going to monitor you. I have a, I use True Coach, what we're going to do. 
tomorrow morning, you're going to drink 30 ounces of water when you first wake up. And again, 30 ounces of water at three o'clock in the afternoon. And as you walk out, you say, but Vanessa, what do I eat? And I said, you eat what you would feel comfortable eating in front of me. And I leave it at that. I don't pressure them. I don't say anything. And I leave it for three weeks because it takes three weeks to get the water down every day. And then that we come back to the food, the food thing again. Now, what's your thing? I like pancakes on, on Sunday. We're probably going to take that out. Okay, how about if I have a fruit salad instead? And we start making substitutions. I'm a big believer in only eating an eight-hour window of the day. been doing that for decades in my own life. So how do we get there? I arrange people's times. I'm a morning person. I go to sleep by 9.30 or 10 all the time. Wake up at 4.30. I figure out what your time schedule is. So we fit it to fit your body, not mine, and where your time frames are. Some people work out really in the morning. Some people work out in the afternoon. Some of them in the evenings. Where do you work out? What time? You fit your food around that. So I'm doing it around activities, not around the food. And that's incredible. And you know, one thing that that you mentioned that is, I guess we we kind of gloss over it sometimes, but it, it is at the forefront. It's it's very apparent. You're asking for a commitment upfront because of you know, the, the commitment on one-on-one coaching. So they've got to show up. They've got to show up for the coach. You're asking for a, a dollar amount. It's not cheap, right? So people are committing with their wallets. And when you commit to something, you know, then you are much more likely to see it through. So, and I, I like that you're starting with activity first because activity sometimes is the fun part, right? Of like weight loss. It's like, oh, we get to go in and do workout. We get to go see progress. The dieting part sometimes can be the, the the chore, if you will, especially for somebody you know who loves to eat and 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 that sort of thing. So I like that you kind of play on the fun part. You play on the the performance aspect of it. Play on the activity level aspect of it. And then you know people have to have that heart to heart with themselves. If I want to see better results, if I want to do better, I'm gonna I may have to change the diet. So I love that approach. And everybody that I work with, I have to find their why. And so I have a new guy. He's great. I had to find his why. A little different. He's 25 years old, taking about 40 pounds off of him. His why is to go on to online dating. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to make a muscular guy, right? We've dropped the weight. He never bit. He's a computer science guy working at Google, right? <laughs> and like today he goes, you see my shoulders, Vanessa? It was the <laughs> cutest thing ever. So I took a video of him tossing a tire, right? And I go... <laughs> Put this on your profile. Cool. <laughs> so this is what you do. You find someone's why. And then you move from there. And then you're not making food the focus. How have you seen supplementation change over the years? And is that something that plays a role into how you coach nutrition and diet? So, you know, depending on what you're doing in life, most of us are vitamin D, d-, d- deficient. We're not in the sun, Right. I make everyone take a blood test a couple times a year. We go off that and we see where your deficiencies are, make sure there's nothing happen- going on that I should know about. Almost everyone takes magnesium and vitamin D. Those are the two big things I make everyone do. If you don't eat meat, you're going to need a B supplement and a lot of it if you're going to run a lot. So try to get that stuff in their diet and do that with supplements. But I don't want them doing protein shakes I'm amazed when people do those because that's a processed food, right? So if we're trying to avoid processed food, learn how to eat real foods. You can't be doing protein shakes or bars 
or those things. So it's a change of a mindset. Good feedback. How do you think about programming the cardio and the strength portion of it? I mean, is it really dependent on the type of person? What is your approach or philosophy for types of workouts for people? Well, when people come to me and people have and said, Vanessa, I hate running. And I said, I don't care. You don't have to run. There's lots of things we can do, right? Running is something I do so I don't kill people. And so that's, they always laugh, but that's true. So I literally figure out what they like. If you like to hike, you like to bike. I got a Stairmaster if you really want to be sadistic. So (laughs) whatever you want to do, we figure out what you like and do not force people to run. Everybody has to lift weights for 20 minutes in the hour. They're with me. Weightlifting and jumping up and down makes strong bones. Bottom line. Everyone needs that, whether they be 15 years old or 75. And they do it and it makes them not get injured. Worst thing for runners is to get injured because they push themselves in the same motion over and over again, too fast to rate. And we're all professionals. So I don't go bench 200 pounds every day. I might bench for two or three minutes, 80 pounds, right? So I do a very different kind of thing, right? Because I go to a complete failure on low weights, right? That gets definition, makes you ridiculously strong. Same thing with running. You run slow, you run consistent, you run with good form. And guess what? Then you can run fast. People don't like to hear that. It's not as much fun to go slow and consistent and do that long stuff. It's much more fun to see how fast I can run with Joe and, you know, that stuff. It does not get you in the long run where you want to get. And I love what you said there at the end, which was with good form. Because, I mean, we harp on slow and, you know, that good form portion of it and working on that form and, and taking a look at the form. And if you can work and drill that in, then you will run faster in the long run. So I, I, well, I like that. So one of the things that I have that Galen Rupp had before he had surgery and Jake Riley and Gwen Jorgensen is Hagelin's deformity, which is a bump on the back of your heel. I am known on YouTube for how to get through this, how to tape your feet, what shoes to wear, how to ice your feet, all that stuff. I have never had surgery and I run with it without a problem. So these are such a funny thing. 30% of people have this and don't know what it is, why their heels hurt, why their Achilles tendons. And when they figure it out, they think they have to quit running or get surgery. It's not necessary. So those are my big on YouTube for those. What is it? And how do, how do people find out if they have it and, and what okay. do they do? Yeah. So if you have a, a shoe and you always seem to rub a area on the back of the heel because you have a bump on your heel and it always hurts, get an x-ray from a podiatrist. If you have a bump there, he'll tell you, you have Heglin's deformity. It can be taped properly. You have to keep the swelling out of it to keep the pain down and pick the proper shoes that don't have a heel cup and then learn not to heel strike because heel striking makes it much, much, much worse. So we work on exercises to get you off of that and to do a shorter stride that you come up in the back more, which everyone should do instead of that overreaching front stride. And then you can run with Hagelin's deformity. So Galen Rupp ran with it for a decade or so. He just had surgery three years ago and had bone cut off and had to relearn how to run. Jake Riley, who was second, the same deal. Gwen Jorgensen, who won a gold medal oh. in the triathlon. Same thing. These all did it. Professional runner who ran with it for decades 
and then had surgery later. So I do a lot of Zoom calls with people that don't live here. I'm picking the right shoe, fixing their form, and getting them running again. So I have people in Israel, people in Mexico who are like amazed they can run again. That's great. That's great. Now let's uh, transition a bit, Coach V, and talk about Coach V, the author. (laughs) So I think, I'm trying not to talk money too much, but I got to be pretty expensive for someone. People spend thousands of dollars a year for me. And I'm in a grocery store, and this woman is following me around the store. Very weird. And she says, I heard you talking to your friend. You run marathons. You're a personal trainer. You must be very expensive. And she's right. And I felt bad because when I was a kid, I could never afford someone like me to help. The books I saw only had pretty people and Olympians. They didn't have average people to help people how to get somewhere. So I run after this woman and I tell her to drink water and whatever crap I tell her. I tell her because I was, even to me, I sounded stupid. And I thought I need to write a book about the kinds of people I help. I'm not just helping people that want to lose 100 pounds, but I've gotten... 80-year-olds out of wheelchairs. Wow. I've helped kids come over suicidal attendants. I mean, literally. I mean, through exercise, we can change you mentally. So the book talks about all of this. And the 45-year-old depressed housewife, the 65-year-old CEO that drinks too much, all of it, and how we use exercise to change them mentally and change them physically to make them happier and out of pain. That's what the book is about. It's your body, move it, love it, lift, comes out September 7th. So it's been a huge project and um, way too many edits by the publisher, (laughs) but I'm very excited and I hope it inspires people to get moving, to find something that works and to stick with it and to get a body out of pain and to realize we own these bodies, take care of this body. If you buy a brand new car, You're going to wash that car and make sure the oil's changed, pay the bills on it, take care of it. But we don't take care of these bodies. We live in them every day. You need to be comfortable in your body, which means no pain. Get there. And as we talk about pain in the year, a year in reflection, I mean, where was Coach V and the state of her business here in San Jose before you purchased the gym in Las Vegas? (laughs) <laughs> in the midst of the, of the pandemic. I remember seeing some of your social media posts around that time. Why don't you share with our audience and how you're able to... And, you know, I had just bought my house. I was doing probably 40 grand a year in corporate business, which means I, if you went to the San Jose Convention Center for a convention, your company would hire me to take you on a 5K run. So three or four times a week, I was taking people on a 5K run around San Jose. I was doing leadership groups at Adobe and at Google and doing them exercise classes and and runs, speaking at seminars, and that all went away. The studios closed down and who knows what's going to happen. I had already started making videos, so I thought I could switch to Zoom, but you know, maybe 60% of my clients stayed with me. The rest of them, you know, just kind of wandered away or said, we'll call you in three months when it reopens. That didn't happen, of course. And I had to re-decide what I was doing. Started to make videos, got good at making videos. The first videos are sad, but now I have the music down and all that kind of stuff. And the Zoom took off. Wow. I was wow. Zooming nine hours a day. 
<laughs> now, my accountant kept reminding me, you don't have the corporate business. What are you going to do? You have the corporate business. At that time, Nevada was opening up before California, and there was a boxing, kickboxing gym for sale, and I bought it. Not one person said, wow, how great, Vanessa. Everyone has said, how stupid of you. You bought a business in the fitness world during a pandemic. It has not been easy. I love it there. I love the people. I love. We have 25 boxing bags that we teach classes on all day long. I've also brought a yoga instructor in. You know, we do other things, but it's hard. And financially, it's not breaking even and still, I'll be honest with you. But I have a great staff now. They're very fun, except for the guy who didn't show up on time today. <laughs> but the members are really nice. But that's a very different venue. It's a membership-based. You hang out. You have fun with your friends. It's a gym. It's 5,500 square feet. It's very large. And I hope it works out. For me, though, I still see the joy in the people that get to come and work out and have a great time. Now, I don't know if you guys know anything about kickboxing or boxing or boxing or on the bags, but it's very fun. Yeah. And everyone has a blast. <laughs> it's not a violent thing. And even the guys who box against each other do the MMA stuff. It's all about fun. And it's exercise. So it's great. Yeah, I love heavy, hitting a heavy bag every once in a while. I definitely enjoy it. It's a major shoulder workout. That's for sure. I mean, I think for those of us that don't box on a regular basis, man, you go into a gym any given point in time and your shoulders are on fire, especially coming out of it. So why boxing? Do you box here? Do you teach your clients how to box here? Yes, um, I do. <laughs> I don't care how old you are. Even if you're in a wheelchair, we box. Wow. So I think it was four years ago. Gerald Washington has a heavyweight boxer and he was going for the championship. His mother was a friend of mine from tennis and he did not have any endurance. So he spent six with me trying to learn endurance so that he could be better for this big fight. With that, I learned boxing technique, how to teach boxing te technique, how to do mitts, all that kind of stuff. So yes, that That's was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And our audience, if you haven't been to a boxing gym, I highly encourage you to go. I mean, I think the interval training as well is just fantastic. You know, getting three minutes in, the one minute break, you're really teaching your your body how to recover, how to you know how to how to uh, go all out, and then and then try to recover, and then you, probably your running is going to get much better after you do some of these interval training and interval rounds, and teach your upper body and teach your core. I mean, there's a lot of core work that you're you know, that you're punching with and a stronger core makes you a better runner as well. So, so it's incredible. I think that's, it's a lot of fun if you can get some of that cross training in. And I really think teenagers and young kids learning to box and getting their aggression. Mm -hmm. It's really fantastic for them. <laughs> I mean, I, and you know, I've seen 75 year old ladies have a great time with this and think it's like the funnest thing they've ever done and want to do it all the time. So yeah, everybody loves it. Talk to us, I guess, about, you know, coming back from injury. I, I know we kind of glossed over this. It was 30 years between when you, you tore your Achilles and when you actually came back. I'm assuming that you weren't on the couch for 30 years. Oh. So, it, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of the time in between and, you know, your, your love for fitness and then getting back into running. So I tore my Achilles tendon and couldn't run. I had a couple of scholarships that I lost, of course, and got my college degree, was a farmer for an organic farmer for a number of years, I was jumping horses. Wow. So I was an equestrian <laughs> and went to the Olympic trials in 2004. Wow. And so, yeah, I've had another sport 
And it's a very expensive sport. I don't recommend it for anybody, <laughs> but great fun. And then literally one day I thought, I haven't had any pain for a long time in my Achilles. I wonder if I could run. So I go out and I run a few miles and it's okay. It's not bad. And I never thought I could run competitively again, though. That just never thought that would happen. And I could run maybe four miles and then it would hurt a little bit. And the Hicklin's deformity would hurt. I didn't know how to take care of that. No one knew how to take care of that. And then I just started to run more and remembered that child who ran and the joy that it brought me. And I worked on my form, knew how to take care of my Hicklin's deformity and started to run a lot more. So five years ago is when I really started to run again. That's six. I'm sorry. I'm 55 now. Shit. So yeah, when I was 49, I started to run again. And my goal was to do a marathon again. Back to, back to, I don't think the rest of the races mattered. And so I ran the San Francisco marathon when I was 50. That was the big, like, I'm coming back and haven't stopped. Yeah. Yeah. You are truly on the move. And what we mean by that is our viewers cannot see what we see, but we see your, your <laughs> shoe collection that yes. is over 150 pairs <laughs> of shoes. Yes. There's so. no addiction here. <laughs> Yeah. So you would like to elaborate on shoes, the shoes and the evolution of shoes. I mean, you, I know you, I, I love your following you on social because you're never in the same shoes twice. You did give good feedback. And I can tell you all the aspects of every shoe. You can. From an on, from an on to an Adidas, to a Solomon, whatever you want. Yeah. I've tried them all. Obviously companies send them to me and I can tell you what works for who's kind of foot. So if I go into Roadrunners, which is my favorite store and Everyone there knows me, and they always tell the people they're helping, oh, you should ask Vanessa if she's got a minute. She's really, really great. <laughs> and I always go, I don't work for you guys. What are you doing? But shoes are all different. The most important thing is that it doesn't hurt. Do not buy a shoe by color. Look for a shoe with enough room in the toe box, right? And fits your foot. And then buy it half a size bigger. Now, this is the funniest thing. You should not have black toenails. If you have black toenails, it's because your shoe is too, too small. If you wear a seven, you should be a seven and a half or an eight in a running shoe. People hate to buy bigger size shoes. If you want to run on the track, wear spikes. Those hurt. They're small. So that's a whole different thing. But have a shoe with great support. Get custom-made insoles. It, I, I, I'm a big believer in insoles. Insoles that come in shoes are to be pulled out most of the time. And make sure... You change your shoes at least every 300 miles. I change my shoes about every 150. Great advice. Your top three favorite pair of running shoes that you're running in right now, <laughs> Coach. Not top 30, top three. Top 30. One, uh, two, three. Let me see. Okay, so I run in Nike Vaporfly. I prefer the older model. I got Nike to give me 10 pair. So talk about having a nice thing. I don't like the Alpha Fly. I think it's too bouncy. And I feel silly in it. So the Nike React is what I'm using on a regular basis to train. If my feet hurt, it's the Adidas Ultra Boost. That's very soft all the way around. And if you have Achilles issues, there's nothing to rub on the back. The Ons don't fit me. They look cool. Don't fit. They, they come in on the back on the heel. They hurt people's heels a lot. Asics have a hard plastic cup in the back. Eglin's deformity people can't wear them. The New Balance is going through this weird changes of stuff where now the toe comes up. I don't know why you want to run a shoe with a toe coming up. 
makes no sense to me. And I think they made it a little too soft. Brooks, most common running shoe, because it's 100 bucks and not 180, in my opinion. But guess what? It's a great all-around shoe. It's not fantastic. It's great all around. I don't like their new carbon plate. I've tried it. It's not the reactive feeling you get from the Nike. I believe if you're going to race, the Nike Vaporflies with a carbon plate are necessary. They make you faster, no matter what. I mean, we can't argue that one at all. When you look at other carbon plates, the Adidas, so-so. Mm, I don't think it's great. Uh, the Brooks, not so much. Saucony, Pros. You know, Saucony has never fit my foot. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. It's a wider cut, probably fits other people. So it's this way. I always liked it when I was a kid and it never fit then either. Thank you for that feedback. Great insight. How about Hoka's? Do you, have you run oh in God, Hoka's? Oh, or? God, I can't stand Hoka's. Okay. If you are a heavier set person, I can put you in Hoka's because it's such an even shoe, but... It does not encourage you to bend your knee and bring your leg up in the back. So it puts most people in a very strange pattern of almost wigging their leg out when they run. If you're going to be faster, you get the smaller hokas, which are more like a regular traditional running shoe. And those are fantastic. I actually have a pair of those of the carbon plate that Alephine gave me and wow. signed me. Wow. Signed form yeah. for me. Mm -hmm. Yep. So... And I actually did run one race, one race, one race on those. But that's a different kind of hoka than you normally see people in. But you see people in hokas, they do this kind of shuffle run thing that's, I don't think it's good in your knees in a later, in a later time, my opinion. And we, over the last probably month and a half, Kevin, myself, and another one of our members of the Race Mob admin team, Scott Struhl, had a gear podcast and... Other than shoes, which you clearly are expert on, what are some other pieces of gear that you recommend new runners from a recovery as well, recovery tools? I use ice packs that are made for my feet. They come from the King brand. King brand. It's an old company that makes Velcro boots or Velcro knee things with ice packs that fit around the joints. Have them in the freezer, take them out, put them in the boot. The ice packs last five or six years. They're fantastic. So the King brand, I recommend them every which way. KT tape is my go-to tape. I have other companies send me tape all the time. KT tape will last me through a marathon. Even if I throw water on myself, the whole tape, it doesn't come off. You need to figure out your anti-chafing solution. <laughs> Chafing is the worst. And it will happen to everybody. And if you've ever gotten a shower after a race and cried, where you go. Figure out your anti-chafing ointment. There's lots of them out there. Trail Toes is amazing and it stays on forever. Use whatever. There's also a great silicone one out of Germany I've used. Love it. Okay. Do you carry water or don't you? So this is a very preferential thing. I do not run with water. When I go on 12-mile training runs, I do not use water. In a race, I take water, but I do not take carry water with my cell when I run. I do have a vest. I do have a Nathan vest. I never use it. That's just me. All of my clients, I may carry water. <laughs> Anytime over eight miles, you carry water. Don't listen to Vanessa. There. So that's very different. If you're going to run more than eight miles, figure out the goo you can eat. Or if you're going to take raisins with you, what are you going to do with, to get a little bit of food in you? If you're going to marathon, how are you going to get through that? You have to practice that on a regular basis. I use a belt clip for my phone. 
I clip it on the back of my shorts. Doesn't bounce. Thrilled with it. I do not carry it in my hand. I use Beats headphones because Beats headphones do not get damaged by water and sweat. And they last me for years and they have great sound. And I have to hear myself breathe, which is wonderful. Make sure your clothes fit. Do not get a fancy new outfit and wear the day of the race. Wash it at least three times before you wear it the first time. When you're running it, cut off all the tags. Chafing, 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 right? So these are things you need to do to run. Running is not cheap. Obviously, look at my shoes. <laughs> so, But you really need to get good gear and take the time to put into getting the good gear and not just thinking, I'm going to go out the door and run. It's not that easy. Great feedback. Great feedback. That, that's I did want to get into one story, you know, of what you guys talked before we went on air about about Ingrid and kind of her journey. And just wanted to kind of let you kind of kick it off, Vanessa, about about Ingrid, who who we're just getting to know about her journey and and, and her story a, a little bit. So Ingrid's amazing. She's lost, uh, I think it's 156 wow. um, pounds, <laughs> more than herself. And Ingrid's doing it as, as a streaker. She started to run and has not stopped. And she's fantastic. And she's running about a 205 half marathon, half marathon right now. We'll be doing her first marathon at Santa Rosa. So, you know, shooting for about a 415, um, 14 to four and a half. And doing it without major injury, which is impossible, as you know. And she's really good when I was with her about getting her to slow down and not hurt herself. That when you're hurt, you don't run through it. You can walk a couple miles and take that rest of the day off and then come back. It's really important not to kill yourself because you're so obsessed with getting somewhere, whether it be running a marathon or losing weight or whatever it may be. Remember that this body took a long time to get to whatever level you were at and take a long time to get it where you want it to be. And, you know, she's great at taking advice and she takes it to heart. Even if she doesn't like it and still does it. She's great. So I would imagine she's the 15th or 20th client I've had lose over 60 pounds and take to races. So it's amazing when you see somebody lose this weight, cross that finish line and the smile they have because they never thought they could do that. That's what's amazing about races, 5Ks and 10K and, and watch them finish. So I had a man who was a cardiologist at Stanford. He just moved to Sacramento last year. But I was giving a talk at a seminar and I said, you know, 70% of the people are either overweight or obese. And it includes this room of cardiologists. And I gave this guy in the front row, I said, give me two numbers. And he was basically rose back and rose sideways and asked that person to stand him. And it was this cardiologist who was 70 to 80 pounds overweight. And I said, I was getting paid 500 bucks to talk. I didn't, I didn't care what people thought. How do you tell people not to have a heart attack when you're obese? And he was like, you have room for another client? <laughs> and everyone, the whole room laughed. Yeah. And he became my client. Wow. And I made him have his first 5K, Stanford 5K. Wow, wow. When he lost 50 pounds, wow. he had to run this 5K mm -hmm. at work. Mm -hmm in front of everybody who knew him. Wow. And he cried when he finished yeah. because he was so amazed. And he's healthy now. He was a cardiologist who was overweight. So anyone can do it. And he never wanted to run. I love that when people say, I don't want to run, Vanessa. <laughs> eh, whatever. Yeah. You know a lot of
I mean, so many of us were in that boat, like hated running, never thought about running. And and sometimes you do need that hard truth, right? I think sometimes people call it like the, I think Tim Ferriss calls it the Harajuku moment. You need some switch to happen in your brain in order to get yourself out of your comfortable lifestyle, to get yourself a little bit uncomfortable, to get yourself to commit a little bit. And then a roadmap and a plan on what to do next. How am I going to get there? a support system that's going to get you there as well. And it sounds like, I mean, you've done this time and time and time again for a number of different clients and just getting that switch, just getting that that initial motivation, just getting that support. I mean, it's just incredible. It's incredible to hear about these success stories one after another and after another. It gets me inspired. I mean, the book, I can't wait to pick it up. I can't wait to read it because, I mean, these inspirational stories, they just want to make sure <laughs> make you get up off the couch and you know there's no excuse there's really no excuse to not move forward and try your best and do a little bit better than you did yesterday so uh, I love that I love and, yeah, yeah I love all this one thing there's <laughs> one thing we're forgetting yeah so me and Bertrand are friends on weekends we're not even during the week friends we are friends who see each other at races and go hey how's it going when you go to races on a regular basis in Northern California, you see 20 to 30% of people that are your friends. So when this pandemic happened, we weren't seeing our friends anymore. That was awful. This is our social life. We don't go to bars. We're not bowling. We hang out at races and take pictures together. It doesn't matter if you're the back of the pack or the front of the pack. We get the same banana, same bottle of water, and we give same hugs. So this is our tribe. And we miss this horribly. So that's why it's so exciting to go to races again. Yeah. What races do you have on your calendar? Where are you heading to? (laughs) Well, okay, that's a great question. So I told you I saw Frank Shorter again after a number of years. So he is now my personal coach. Wow. Wow. And he's delightful. He's delightful. (laughs) But there's only glory in three things, the 100, the one mile, and the marathon. And so he's telling me to make a decision to stop running everything. You know, I just did a 5K on the track and one fastest I've ever run. Wow. I ran my first mile under seven minutes wow. as, you know, a 55-year-old woman. That's ridiculous. So obviously it's painful. Um, just in case anyone cares, <laughs> running on that left leg is wild. <laughs> but the marathon always has that special place. Because I don't care what you do when you finish, you're just like, wow. The half marathon is comfortable. It's a comfortable race. I feel like I did something, but I don't hurt that much when I race them hard. Uh, the 10K was always my favorite length. That was always my favorite race, but there's no glory in the 10K. So I don't know what I'm doing. It's basically, I'm trying to tell you. I, I Now, back in the 70s and 80s, 80s, all the men ran all the distances right? Everything long distance was a mile up to the marathon. All they all ran it. As a 55-year-old woman who works with three companies, I can't do it all. Don't tell anybody, but I can't. And I do want to touch on one other thing because we didn't talk on my third company. I have a nonprofit, exercise in the streets. And so we give running shoes, sweatshirts, toiletry bags, and a duffel bag with also has some cash in it to every foster child in Santa Clara, Kenna, and in Clark County. We used to, before the pandemic, do running clinics in Juvenile Hall. Wow. So I went back on my birthday to Juvenile Hall for the first time in a year and a half. 
fantastic. And it's amazing. So of the kids who've gotten back, one of them is now on a full ride on Sac State, which is just <laughs> delightful. Another one, I got him a full ride scholarship to St. Francis High School. So meet him, got him transferred and got him a full ride. So I don't know of all the things I do, helping those kids is priceless. And occasionally I'll be somewhere and I'll see a kid carrying one of the bags and I can't say hello because that would be taking their anonymity away as a foster child. But I'm just like, wow, look at the shoes. So it's not really that unusual that I would give a nonprofit that was running shoes. <laughs> and all the running shoes are over $100 in every bag. <laughs> so Adidas gives me shoes. Nike gives me shoes. People have been more than generous. and. We were very lucky. I think right now, a little over 3,000 kids have gotten bags. So, yes, it's, it's wow. crazy. Yeah. And I have to tell you, profound work. we yeah. first started. So I have kids that went to, you know, Bellarmine's and Saratoga and Los Gatos High School. I wanted them to see the world I was from. And I knew a sergeant. And I said, can we do a run clinic at Juvie Hall? And he said, sure, come on in. And then I said, let's take some shoes. We went literally to the Nike outlet, bought a bunch of shoes, took shoes, right? So that's how it kind of started. And it's grown from there. So that's great. That's incredible. That's incredible. And as we've mentioned before, you're working with three different organizations right now. So trainwithv.com, fitness23.fit, and exerciseinthestreet.com. I mean, this has been just an incredible conversation. Where can our audience find you online I know that you have a social media presence. Please let our audience know how they can reach out to you. Sure. So train with V, you know, underscore fitness 23. That's my Instagram, Vanessa Bogenholm. You're going to find me on Facebook or on LinkedIn. And train with V is, is how you're going to find me on YouTube. And there's all the free videos there and Hagelin's deformity video, anything. And Vanessa at trainwithv.com. That's how you can email me anytime. I've never had an email I didn't answer. You know, I always feel privileged that people want my help. I give, just like both of you probably do, hours and hours of free advice. I mean, I found myself helping a guy that was overweight in the Lucky's grocery store at the register who looked at me and said, I have a weight problem. What do I do? And I thought, okay, do this, do this, do this. I mean, you know, that's just, people look at me and ask me questions now. That's a gift. I never think of it as a burden. And I always try to be polite. Even though I make a living at this, I have to give it away or else it's not special to me either. You're welcome. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you again so much, Coach V. Really appreciate this, this entire hour. Fantastic. So profound. Thanks, so guys. Have a nice night. This has been fantastic. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Race Mob Podcast. Check out all of the show notes or find a running buddy online at racemob.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. Until next time, keep on moving.